Hey, everybody. We're in the midst of a few months of focusing on movement skills for climbers. But honestly, I'm not happy with just putting more info out there. So we're making an effort to not only collect the dots, but to connect the dots. And the main place I'm doing that is in our monthly newsletter, The Current. Once a month in your inbox, you'll get not a sales email, but my recent light bulb moments or interrogations of how we've always done things and what we could maybe be doing better. You'll also get the dots connected for you between all of the podcast episodes, blog posts, YouTube videos, and more so that together we can learn, grow, and excel. The link is right there in your show notes. Thanks for the support. Maybe don't know. This time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 59 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. You guys, I am exhausted. I feel like I've crisscrossed the country multiple times in the last couple of months. Um, I largely feel that way because I have, and uh, it's definitely wearing on me. Um, but it's uh, I can see an end in sight, and all of the events that we've been to, all of the workshops we've done, have been a ton of fun. I uh, just wrapped up 24 Hours of Horseshoe Hell, which, as always, was ridiculous. So thanks, everybody out there, for making that what it was. And I am just uh, moved, took all of our furniture from Cincinnati, drove a moving truck across to Lander, and we just unloaded that into the house this morning. Uh, so it's been a little bit of craziness. I'm going to start putting together a training space. Uh, at the new place, we've got a giant garage that's going to be training uh, the machine shop, I think I'm going to call it. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and then I leave here on in a few days from now, leave again to go to Rocktoberfest, um, where I'll be emceeing again, one of my favorite events of the year. If you guys are coming, register online at rrgcc.org and you get a discount on your admission. Um, so jump online and do that early. I'm also going to be doing a live podcast in the red on Saturday, October 14th at 8 p.m. at Land of the Arches. Um, going to be doing a board meeting, so all the coaches are going to be there, Nate and Paul and Blake. And we're not exactly sure what we're going to discuss yet. I'm going to poll our Facebook community for that, and we'll we'll have a topic for you by the next time this, this podcast goes out. So I'll let you know what that's going to be. Uh, and then October 27th through the 29th, I'm in Salt Lake for the Climb Strong Performance Coaching Seminar, uh, where I'll be talking about growth mindset and how to uh, put practice into your climbing training sessions. Um, and I think that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm really looking forward to working with the coaches out there. And you can sign up for that at climbstrong.com. Uh, and then November 14th and 7th through the 17th at Spire in Bozeman. So I'm definitely stoked to meet all the Montana climbers out there. We've got a pretty big contingency in Bozeman already. Um, so I'm excited to get to come out and work with you guys. And again, that's November 14th through the 17th. 
And uh, today, I'm just, um, I've got a, an episode that I recorded but did not participate in. I did, I recorded this at Outdoor Retailer this year. Things were crazy hectic, so I was running around um, getting some sponsor things done and talking to other people. And Arno Ilgner was going to be talking with Alex Honnold, and I agreed to record that session for them because I knew it was going to be a great conversation, and, and it was. Um, so Arno and uh, his partner Jeff Lotus with The Warrior's Way uh, sat down with, with Alex shortly after his uh, free rider solo to talk about the you know the mental side of it and what went into that and um, I think you're gonna really enjoy it so I'm gonna let those guys take it away and I'll see you on the other side well I found that that by dealing with fears and dealing with my mind through climbing it does make the rest of life a lot more manageable Suits. We're obviously interested in mental training because mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're been teaching a lot. And if there is any example of you know being really mentally fit and focused, you know it'd be what you're doing. In other words, being in an extreme situation where you absolutely have to be focused. Yeah. And so digging into like your perspective of mental training and and from our perspective, you know, finding out more for the listener on mm -hmm. how they could improve their mental game. For starters, like a really important part of mental training is commitment. And one thing really intrigued me about listening to your interviews, like particularly in some of the videos, is the time that you take to come to commitment to a free solo. Could you speak something toward that? I don't even know where to start. You know, it's all yeah. like such big, big things. Because I mean, it's funny. I mean, when I was younger and starting to learn how to trad climb, I mean, I learned a lot about commitment from reading your book, actually, from the Rock Warriors way with like, mm -hmm. if you're going to do it, give it 100% or don't do it. But, you know, basically, like once you commit, like flip the switch and like engage, you know, because I had before that I've been trad climbing much more timidly where I basically would like climb till I got scared and then try to fumble in a piece of gear and then like was kind of gripped the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then that gave me a lot more purposeful, like, OK, climb to a stance, place a piece, give it 100 percent, like, you know, just be a little bit more either on or off. You know, mm -hmm. and if I'm not comfortable, don't do it. Or like if I'm going to do it, really do it. And with free soloing, though, you know, I feel sort of the same way. Like if I'm not comfortable, then. I'll put more preparation in or do whatever else, but then when it's time, then I give it the 100% for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's the, like, getting to that point of feeling feeling comfortable. I mean, that's sort of, like, the... That's the long process, you know? Yeah, it's almost like, like um, you know, 100% commitment to preparation, you know? And what does that involve? I mean, the mental preparation for me is, like, I mean, months or potentially years of, like, thinking about a route and sort of envisioning it and, like, just fantasizing, imagining, I mean, whatever else, you know, like running it over in your mind over and over and seeing if that seems scary or if that seems like a bad idea or imagining what it would feel like or just sort of, you know, like letting it unfold in your mind. I mean, certainly yeah. for a free rider, it took a long time to even think it was possible. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 
for years I'd think about it and be like, that'd be so cool to do. But then when I actually thought about the nitty gritty of like doing it, I'd be like, that's fucked up. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because uh, um, from my perspective, we all have comfort zones. We have stress zone outside of that. And the way we grow our comfort zone is through experience. Yeah. So part of yeah, your preparation sure. is just a ton of free soloing to broaden that experience. I've base. talked about that a lot with like growing the comfort zone. Um, I wonder if I also got that from your book, actually. <laughs> I, I probably did. When we approach mental training, we're looking at um, committing attention to thinking processes so you can use the qualities of your mind to make sure that you're gathering information, making appropriate risk decisions, but then being able to set that aside and commit attention to action, like to the body. From what I understand, you did a lot of preparation for like Moonlight Buttress, but then maybe almost felt like when you went to Half Dome that you, that that much preparation was taking away from some of the challenge. Yeah, yeah. But then you found yourself a little bit over in over your Yeah, head. yeah, for sure. No, that's a very good analysis of it, yeah. Yeah, because with Moonlight, I prepared so much that I had it, it was all just perfect execution. I just had to go up there and do it. it you know, and it felt great when I did it. I felt, I felt totally, felt super solid. Part of it, though, is just that the, the half dome, the wall is too big to just go up and work by yourself and like memorize in the same way. So I was like, well, I can't really work on it the same way. So instead, I'm going to just like do it as like this adventurous experience. But then the adventurous experience turned out to be quite scary. Now I've kind of gone full spectrum because uh, coming back to El Cap this year, even though it's an even bigger wall and even more complicated, I just like put the time in and, and like made it feel comfortable. Exactly. And one, one thing that though, I think is really important in mental training is finding a way for it not just to work in climbing, but to bridge it to other areas of our lives. Like mm. you have a nonprofit, mm. you're uh, in relationship or in and out of relationship, whatever yeah. the situation I'm might in. be. And yeah. that's in a different kind of challenge for commitment, right? Mm. All right. So when you think about commitment, uh, being able to commit in climbing, how does that translate to these other endeavors? Um, actually, I mean, to me, the the closest translation is uh, with public speaking, actually, because um, I used to be so gripped with public speaking. And, and I feel like when you go in front of a crowd, it's sort of the same deal where you just have to flip the switch and just engage. And it's like, OK, it's time to commit because like, you can't go in front of a crowd and kind of half ass it with like, hey, you know, I'm just I'm just here to chat a little bit. You know, it's like terrible. You just have to go up there and own it and be like, hello, my name's Alex and I'm here to give you a show. You know, and it's right. like, um, I mean, to me, that's probably the most. Um, concrete example of like translating climbing to other parts of my life. In the normal cast, you talked about struggling to, or being ready to bring the nonprofit into the world, you know, mm -hmm. having some doubts about its effectiveness or, um, you know, other aspects of it. And, you know, I'm just thinking like, oh, you know, mental training could address that too. When you come to a point of being like, oh, I'm not good enough to do this thing, you do a, a a process by which you make yourself yeah, um, no, totally. good enough or um, resolve those doubts, essentially, you know? And it seems like you're at yeah. that point. For sure. I'd have to think about it more to sort of see exactly where the doubts are, what exactly it is that makes me uncomfortable about it, and then, yeah, and then address them. I mean, but that, I mean, you're totally right that I should sort of apply that same process. But just, you know, I just haven't, you know, yeah. I've been putting too much effort into other, other things. Absolutely. A part of what really seems to get into the way of being mentally focused is like ego and things that keep us from being our authentic self. And when, when you describe like public speaking, you need to just own it and mm -hmm. speak with authority and be genuine. And that seems so difficult for many people. I've you know, struggled with that myself. You know? So where does that 
how do you access that without having, because people say that, well, you don't have a lot of ego and like you can be genuine and authentic. Um, is that something that's just been natural all your life or did you have to develop that or uh, why isn't ego a bigger part? I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, I mean, I've never even really thought about it, but I mean, when you talk about authentic self or, I mean, I'm like always the same basically in interviews and in film and in life. Like I'm, I'm, I am, I am me, you know, like I'm just one version of me. That's pretty much always the same. And, I, and I've changed over time. Obviously I've like learned and grown and I'm like a better communicator now. And I'm like a kinder person than I was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I pretty much always like in any interview or, or anything, like whether it's, you know, uh, written or, or verbal or like in front of a camera or not, like I'm pretty much always the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that's just the way I am. It's just, Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know. Like, and I've heard that people struggle with that, that when people are like on camera, they can't be normal or they can't be natural. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. It's just not a thing for me. So, mm -hmm. I mean, but I think from part of it, it's just easier to just be yourself, just to act totally normal all the mm -hmm. time. Like, I don't, you know, for me, it's hard to like put on a sh like an act. You know, exactly. Just, I don't know. Totally. Yeah. It, it's, it's harder, but still it's like, uh, when we, when we develop our egos, it's like it, um, it feels threatened and fearful, you know, for that, our, that image to, to be criticized. Maybe I, I maybe it's, I just have never really given a shit, you know, <laughs> like what people think or yeah. if I'm going to be criticized. I mean, I do care a little bit, like, you know, I care about the opinion of my peers and like, I don't want to totally embarrass myself in some presentation mm -hmm. in front of a group or something. Mm -hmm. But in general, like, I don't really care if I get criticized for things. I'm mm -hmm. like, as long as I feel comfortable with my decisions and, you know, as long as I feel good about mm -hmm. it, then I'm like, I mean, and maybe that's the ultimate example of ego, you know, because <laughs> as long as I feel good, then it's all good. And, you know, mm -hmm. like I just care about the self, but I don't know. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Okay. Do you, uh, like you, you've been uh, said to be no big deal, Honnold. Like why, why do you think that um, the free soloing that you do, which is a big deal, uh, is not a big deal? And where does that come from? Is it humility or is it self-deprecation? And well, I think it's it's partially just that. Um, I mean, bringing it back to free rider again. Like, so I thought of this for years as as the coolest thing that would ever be done. I'm like, this is the future of the sport. This is visionary. This is crazy. But then by the time I put in enough work to actually do it, it seemed totally normal. You know, like it was now within my comfort zone. It seems reasonable. It seems normal. And so then I do it, and now I'm like, oh, well, now it's normal. It's no longer the like craziest thing that's ever been done. Um, but I think that's sort of the natural process of like to make something possible, you like, or like once you have made something possible, it's no longer, you know, by definition, it's no longer impossible. Yeah. It's you no know, like, yeah, you've, deal. you've like taken it off the pedestal and it's now just like a normal yeah. thing. Right. You know, to address that issue of public speaking, like if you go up in front of a group of people and speak to something that is close to your heart that you know, well, mm -hmm. I think it's much less anxiety producing than if you go up there and try to talk out your ass. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. So and yeah, I have the benefit of always talking about climbing, which, you know, I've been deeply immersed in for 20 years. So exactly. it's super easy just to go up and talk about climbing. Yeah. And, but, you know, if you extend the analogy, like in terms of getting on a route that you maybe haven't prepared for properly, mm -hmm. for um, sure, you're taking the risk in, in the same kind of way where you're, you're not, you don't have the background, you don't have enough information to know whether or not you're going to be able to climb that route or or say something intelligent yeah it's all about the preparation for sure i mean so much of life is practice you know like you just need to practice and Put, i did putting in the work yeah right for sure 
fear does play a part in it, right? And you, you mentioned in your book that um, you're fearful just like everybody else, but it seems like that preparation puts fear in its place so that action can, it can be no big deal in a sense mm -hmm. because you're focused on just the execution. There's, uh, if you've done the preparation, then thinking process is going to be diminished, less chance to interfere, yeah, and you can focus sure. just on the execution of engaging your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you mentioned about mental armor as being... Though I actually don't really think of it in those terms anymore. No more? Yeah, it's funny because the whole mental armor, like the shield type thing, was sort of something I thought about more as, as uh, when I was younger. And like, yeah, yeah I wrote about that in my book with the, the chapter about Half Dome. Right. Um, now I actually prefer not to like think of it as a shield. I prefer to think of like expanding my comfort zone until it does feel right. comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, because the problem with like having a shield is that like as soon as your shield cracks, then you're kind of hosed, you know? <laughs> right. I would prefer to be like totally comfortable with the whole situation all the way through and not have to like boost myself up for it somehow. You know, right. just like go up there when it feels natural. But, I, I think that's an important uh, evolution to make because like what do you do if that cracks? It's like... Um, if you're, if you're on a long solo like that, it's going to be yeah, a lot of time exactly. to pay attention, a exactly. lot of stress that builds, and then yeah, all of I a mean, sudden... The thing about building up a shield or something like that is it kind of makes sense if you're like a skier maybe and you're going to huck some big cliff and that's it. You just have to like go once, stick the landing, and you're done. Right. But with climbing, yeah, if you're trying to stay in the zone for four hours, you can't just like build yourself up and mm -hmm. I mean or even if you're like soloing a sport route or something you could like listen to a bunch of angry music get all <laughs> fired up and then bust it out before you get scared mm -hmm. you know because you're like I have five minutes of overwhelming stoke I just need to use it mm -hmm. but like if you're trying to solo a 3,000 foot wall like you can't just like artificially boost yourself up you have to like feel deeply comfortable with it mm -hmm. right but, and um do you listen to music anymore? Like you yeah, said. No, on, on El Cap, I listen to music the whole way. The whole like, way, totally chilling. even through but, the cruxes. Um, I think I turned it down through the cruxes, so I like, couldn't really hear anything. But, yeah. um, but uh, partially, though, that's as a timepiece, because I keep track of my pace that way mm -hmm. and have a sense of how long I'm spending on each pitch and things like that. What uh, music did you listen to? I was just like shuffling this playlist of like rock that I like. It's just, yeah. So it's more like... Um, Music it's all in upper. That would get yeah. you fired yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But that's actually all I listen to in general. I only listen to music that's like raw. <laughs> you know, but that's well, that, I mean, but that's also just because that's what I listen to in high school, yeah. and I just like like it. You know, totally. So and yeah. that makes sense because you know you're generally known to be a fairly even keeled type of person, and you might need a little bit of like <laughs> a little dose of something to, say, to like okay, fire me up. Go, yeah, maybe, maybe. I feel. Like I mean, the only music I listen to is like ah, let's get some. You know, because I'm like I want to get fired up. I want to do some stuff. <laughs> at, at the same time. Uh, uh, at least in your book, you're pointing out that when it, the climbing got a little more serious, you turn it down or turn it off. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I'm also the same way with like layers, like having clothing on and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, when I get to like hard or like really serious climbing, I want like nothing on me. I want no noise. I, I want to be like naked on a wall, just like trying my hardest. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't like people watching. I just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like for me to like try really hard, I like to be alone and just like focused I don't know yeah but that that speaks toward everything is a distraction unless you just bring it back to the body and the execution mm -hmm. yeah, of totally. the climbing right totally. and that's that's one thing that seems to pop up a lot for uh, people that want to do men mental training is they use tricks like listening to music or even thinking positive that can actually interfere or distract attention from what you're actually doing with the body to execute the movements mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, yeah, I totally hear that. Um, what about motivation? You know, 
obviously there, there are two basic types of motivation, more intrinsic and extrinsic. Extrinsic is like have a goal, yeah. work toward that, kind of a vision for what you want to do. But intrinsic is like wanting to be in that stressor of the experience rather than just at the achievement. How hmm. do those play into giving you vision and then also keeping you present during the climbing, difficult climbing? I feel like... I, I... I mean, I, I don't know. I've never thought about it that much. And actually, I didn't know it was quite defined that way. I thought of extrinsic as more like motivated by external factors like, you know, Correct. sponsorship or something. It is kind something. of like that because that, that goal is kind of out there like El Cap yeah, or whatever. It's like an external motivator that can give you a vision to work toward. I mean, half of it was like, I just want to solo El Cap because I'm like, I think that's the coolest thing ever done. Mm -hmm. But then also when I thought about it, like the idea of like hanging from finger locks 2,600 feet off the ground you know, like, just sounds amazing. You know, like, it's the most outrageous position on earth. Like, just to be able to, like, dangle from those holds and feel comfortable is, like, so crazy. And I was like, I want to be the dude that's, like, hanging on those holds, being like, this is so cool, you know. Um, so, I mean, I suppose that's the intrinsic motivation the intrinsic. of, like, one, just wanting to feel good on the wall. Um, but so, I mean, I was definitely the sort of half and half because, I mean, there was definitely some extrinsic motivation. I was like, I just, I want to be the person that sold cap. Like, that's cool. So what about the timing of those motivations? Like when you were climbing, did you think about, I want to solo El Cap? Or were you thinking, I want to be hanging off those, these locks right here? Uh, while I was climbing, yeah. it's all about the, like, this feels amazing. In like this is the, I had, a, I had a pitch near the top where as I was climbing the Scotty Burke off with, I was like, this is the best this pitch has ever been climbed. Uh -huh. And then I was like, humility, humility, deep breaths, like relax, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like, you know, like don't get carried away and then like blow a foot and fall off, you know? But like, as I was climbing it, I was like, this pitch has never been climbed better than I'm climbing right now. I was like, I'm going so fast and I feel so good. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. You know, like I feel amazing. I mean, you know, I suppose that's sort of the intrinsic, you know, just like, this feels great and like what a position it but. that yeah obviously it's intrinsic it's like you want to be in that experience and that's i think it's something that's a lot, so many climbers struggle with because uh, we have a tendency to climb to get to get be done climbing you know to, yeah, to, yeah to totally. achievement certainly anything i've ever done alpine climbing is like totally extrinsic yeah. you know where you're like i just want to say that I went to Alaska and climbed something. But then the reality is the whole time you're there, you're like, it's cold and it sucks. Like, why are we here? You know? Yeah. Like all of alpinism, I think, is extrinsically motivated. I think there's, for, for some people, they do enjoy that suffering. Well, totally. Yeah. It, yeah. Like I'm really good friends with Colin Haley mm. and um, he's motivated for alpine climbing the way I am for rock climbing. Yeah. And like he loves to just like hike into the mountains and like do that stuff. And I'm just like, man, how are you so fired up? But it's just like, yeah. and it's That's interesting hanging out with them because I'm like, our motivations are like, we're really, really similar people, but he just cares about the mountains in the way that I care about cliffs. And I'm just like, all right, you know. Yeah. yeah but you've also done some of that in Patagonia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't have to dig into this question a lot, but um, and probably can't, you know, really uh, to the satisfaction of the listeners. But why is free soloing appealing? I mean, that's very personal for everyone that does it. But most of the listeners are going to say, "Well, you're crazy to do that." Yet it's a very personal decision, and with all the preparation that you do, you know, it can be no big deal in a sense because. The, the confidence that comes from that preparation mm -hmm. has prepared you for uh, being able to take that risk. Yeah, so what do you mean, though? Like, 
like uh, why free soloing for you? Now, I know in your book you said because you were shy and you didn't want to ask. Yeah, your that's just kind of like the superficial thing to start, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. But I mean, before that was was the like the aesthetic appeal, you know, like seeing a picture of Peter Croft on the roster in his white mm-hmm. painter pants as, as a kid. I'm like, that guy is rad. Like, what an amazing position. What a crazy place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always thought it was cool, you know, <laughs> like, but part of that's just cultural too, like growing up in California and being like immersed with stories of the stone masters and Yosemite right. and Joshua tree. And like, there's just such a big thing around it. Um, you know, like maybe if I'd grown up in Europe, I would have been more into sport climbing or whatever, but, yeah. um, it's partially just where I was from and like how I grew up. I was just like, that is awesome. Yeah. And, and I think Tommy Caldwell said once, just find your niche and do the best you can in it, you know, so yeah. we're all kind of drawn toward different disciplines within totally. climbing could be, uh, you know, big wall free, free climbing, or it could be free soloing, it could be sport climbing. And so find that's again, intrinsic motivation, finding out what's appropriate for you, and for me, and then following through with that from inside out being drawn toward mm-hmm. whatever that activity I mean, is. Yeah, bringing it back to El Cap again, which is sorry, I keep, no, I keep doing fine. it. But um, it is interesting because for years I was sort of like, uh, like I shouldn't try to solo El Cap unless I become a stronger climber. Like I should climb 9A or like climb 14D or, you know, 15A or something before I try to take on a challenge like that. And I always sort of felt like I should be a different kind of climber, which is sort of mm-hmm. the like, oh, I feel like I should be stronger. But then at a certain point, sort of like in the last year and a half, I was just like, you know what, like if I'm... I'm never gonna, I might never climb 515, I don't really know, but I was kind of like, whether I ever do or don't, it doesn't really change the fact that I can feel comfortable soloing 12 plus, and I was like, I might as well just focus on like what I like to do and what I can do, and just like work on that, like play to my strengths, rather than like try to turn myself into some other climber and then come back to it. Right. You know, and so ultimately I just worked on El Cap anyway and, and, and did it, even though I still can't climb that hard, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm still like climbing 14A or B or something. I'm like, man, I wish I could climb harder. But I'm like, the reality is that I like doing a lot of volume. So I'm like, I may as well just like work on El Cap, you know. Uh, what the core point in our Warriors Way approach to mental training is attention. And attention can be used very differently when you're in a thinking process as opposed to a decision-making process and then an action process. So, for an example, uh, attention can be in thinking, gathering information very analytically, Mm -hmm. right? But then when you make a decision, uh, it's more feeling-based, more intuitive-based, and that kind of ties into what I've heard you say a lot about I'm not feeling it right now. It's like tuning in internally to what's going to be appropriate for you as opposed to being influenced externally by other people. Is yeah. that how you find, especially in free solo and how you make decisions about whether to yeah, go I mean, on feel, or not? I feel like free soloing is 100% internal. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter how much other people tell you to do something. If, you, if it fills you with dread to think about soloing something, then, I mean, for sure you're just not going to do it. Right. Uh, and And then... You know, after all that preparation, uh, making sure, you know, tapping into that feeling-based intuition about an appropriate risk for free soloing. Then when you're actually engaged in execution, what is it like to to have attention in that execution? What what is that experience like for you? Um, Like specifics? I I guess... Uh, I mean, to me, I, I normally describe that as the feeling of emptiness, I guess, because you just execute. I mean, when you're talking about execution, you mean the actual physical act of climbing? Yes, yes. I mean, engaging me, your body. Yeah, to me, when, I, when I'm climbing, when I'm doing difficult climbing and I'm fully committed to it, um, I'm just, I feel like empty. It's just my body doing the moves. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not... Um, 
there's like nothing going on basically. It's just my mind is blank and I'm just performing. I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, that's like the ideal state for for mm-hmm. for climbing. That's kind of what you, what I'm aspiring for. It's like being in the zone, right? Or being yeah. In I mean, flow, that, is, that right? is the zone, I guess. Right? And so, in other words, uh, in being engaged in thinking while you're executing interrupts that flow or being yeah. in the zone. So yeah, you don't want to be. Means your empty intention is exactly. empty out of the mind. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, specifically thinking about the crux on Freerider, the hardest, you know, twelve moves. Um, this little boulder problem. There was definitely no thought. I just did it exactly the way I always do it on on a mini traction. Like when I'm working it with a rope, I just did it exactly the same. There was no like, oh, is that foot right? And you know, this hand feels a certain way. I just did it. Mm-hmm. It, was, you know, it was like pretty amazing. When people talk, say hear the word empty, they often think nothing. Right. My version of feeling empty is feeling full. Actually, in terms of sensory experience, being open to to the feeling, the sound, the texture. Is that something that you know? Like, I, no, I feel, I feel sort of the opposite about it. Cause mm. like, well, I don't know. I mean, cause I'm not like thinking about the texture registering. Like, about I'm it. definitely no. not hearing any sounds. I'm definitely not, you know, like if there were birds behind me, I wouldn't know. Wouldn't I'm know. just yeah. like freaking doing it. Um, and actually I've had that experience on the Gritstone in the UK. Mm-hmm. I, uh, read point of this E7 or E8 or something. It's like a 12 plus lab with no protection. And um, it culminates in this like hard dead point to this hole, like really small holes, and you basically jump to the end. And um, as I was doing it, there was a photographer taking some pictures, and there were a bunch of people like hanging out watching. And um, I stuck the final hold. You know, it's like big move. I like built up, like did the move and stuck it. And then I sort of like came back to my senses. You know, I was like out of the zone again, and mm-hmm. sort of looked around. And I was like, where'd everybody go? And like, why'd the photographer stop taking pictures? And it turns out this guy had fallen just around the corner from me, and like compound fractured his femur. And there was like this dude like screaming around the corner who just had this terrible accident. Never noticed it. Didn't hear it. Like I just did my route like without realizing that like the crowd had like run away to go help this guy. Hmm. And then like as soon as I finished the route, um, you know, we all went over and like helped carry him out to a helicopter. It's totally crazy. But um, but I was like, wow, I did not hear somebody like scream breaking yeah. his leg like right next to me while I was doing, you know, and it is like kind of an example of like my mind is totally shutting. Well, yeah, shutting down to some extent because I'm just like executing. Yeah. And shutting down certain senses. Yeah, exactly. Thinking, hearing, all the unnecessary In order to stuff. heighten other senses. Exactly. Which and what is are freaking those? pulling down on your freaking fingertips as hard so as you can. It's feeling in, in your, sen- your touch, in your fingertips. No, it's, not your t- it's like just the execution, you know, just mm-hmm. the like doing the movements properly, like, like waiting your feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like staying balanced, keeping your body in a good position, like holding things but not too tightly you know what i mean like oh, yeah. being strong but not over gripping like yeah i don't know and that's all feeling based and sensory really, yeah right? yeah for sure but i not, mean knowing how yeah. hard you have to hold a hold to stay on it but not so hard that you're getting more pumped than you need to yeah. i mean that's like i mean how do you quantify that you're just like i don't know i just like yeah, i'm holding it just really right. in the moment without yeah. thinking yeah, yeah that's how you quantify it yeah what you're describing is like getting into the flow state right yeah. the zone and yeah, it's something sure. that uh, athletes talk about it's uh, they love it when they're in it, but they don't know how to replicate it. How are you replicating it? Um, am I replicating it? I don't know. <laughs> I think, well, if you, uh, I would think you would be if you're on a free solo for that's you know four hours long. Uh, I don't know. Like there's some intentionality there that something you're actually doing that uh, leads you into the flow state more intentionally rather than haphazardly. Um, I don't know. I, honestly, I. I I mean, the thing for me about entering the flow state or something is partially it's just because 
or it happens when it's required to happen, like when you have to. And the thing with like a four hour free solo is like on the easy terrain, yeah, you can think about whatever you want to, but then pretty soon you get to hard climbing again and then you just have to re-engage, yeah. you know? It's like an absorbed flow state because of the situation. Yeah, and so it's not as if I'm, I'm like consciously flipping a switch on and off. It's more just that like as I get to hard stuff, you just like have to pay attention again. Right. But uh, a know. lot of climbers, they have to pay attention, but then they get distracted anyway. Well, <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't, just don't even know, like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's what some, mental training's all about, yeah. is, like, how to... Uh, no, what, I'm, I'm, probably the, I'm probably the same way, though. I mean, when I'm trying to red point a hard sport route, it's, like, something I care about, but you're not necessarily 100% in it. You know, I can still occasionally be like, oh, I didn't grab that hold quite right, and I just, like, didn't really know, and then I sort of fell off, and then you kind of know that you didn't give it 100% effort, but you're like... Well, I mean, it just, I don't know. And then you make up random excuses with like, well, it didn't feel right. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't quite give it the 100% either. Right. Um, but with soloing, it's like you always give it the 100% mm -hmm. because you're going to freaking die. So. Well, uh, that kind of brings up like uh, no-fall, yes-fall zones. Like, do you have challenges when uh, going from being in like no-fall zones uh, in free soloing when you go into like rope climbing or like uh, um, yeah though actually even in soloing there are no fall and yes fall zones I mean so interestingly soloing half dome the crux um, of the Higby Hedral there's a 12A boulder problem at the bottom it's a total mm -hmm. yes fall zone it's like above this picnic table sized ledge if you fell mm -hmm. off it you would like probably be totally fine mm -hmm. um, and so I mean you know you think about soloing half dome it's like oh it's totally outrageous and I mean there are the vast majority if you fell off you're going to die but I mean the hardest boulder problem on the whole route is right above a ledge mm -hmm. um And, and like when I saw it Astro Man the first time, the 11C boulder problem is above this like sloping ledge with a big hand crack behind it. So I always felt like if I fell off, I might be able to just snag the hand crack as I hit the ledge because mm -hmm. um, it's not that high. I, you know, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but in the back of my mind, I was sort of like, oh, you might be able to self-arrest. And so, I mean, I definitely think about that with soloing where it's like there are areas where if you fall, you're for sure going to die instantly. And then there's some areas where you're like, oh, it might be okay, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I, yeah, I sort of evaluate the fall the consequences like whether I'm roped up or not you know uh, so when you go to sport climbing where you're in yes fall zones because of how it's bolted and so forth uh, no I, problem staying committed uh, pushing through doubts um, and taking the falls or well actually I sort of probably have the opposite problem where it's hard for me to get out of my like overly controlled soloing style of climbing when I switch back to like right now I'm trying to uh, get back into like hard bouldering hard sport climbing like try to be strong again mm -hmm. but part of that means giving up a degree of control and just like going to the death you know being like right on that edge where you're like mm -hmm. you honestly don't know if you're going to stick the move or not but you just try your hardest anyway um, mm -hmm. and I find it's hard for me to like just try that hard um mm -hmm. you know because i'm so used to doing things with like a degree of reserve and like a certain precision and control you know like i don't like to feel wildly out of control mm -hmm. um and so for me to sport climb harder a big part of it is like relearning how to like be explosive and be bolder mm -hmm. and like jump for things and like hope that i hold on and like you just never know you're like right. maybe i will maybe i won't and it's, it's like um so we we all can get like uh, really great at a certain type of climbing but then there's a downside when we go to another discipline totally. but then it takes practice again and then uh, and in theory the more you you switch back and forth the easier it is to transition between them and, and to be able to flip that switch right um so um 
Do you do any like morning practices or, or some sort of practices for your mind, like uh, anything from yoga to tai chi or meditation or things like that? And if you do, do they help? Um, no, I've, I've never really done any kind of specific mental thing. Mm-hmm. Though over the last year, I've been um, better about like doing stretching every day. I mean, that's that's basically just for my body, you know, to keep things supple and stay mm-hmm. flexible. But um, but I have found that spending ten minutes, you know, by myself or like listening to music, sort of like gently stretching, is sort of a nice. I wouldn't say it's meditative, but you know, it's a nice way to like reflect on things and like have a moment to myself. But no, but no, I've never like intentionally done any kind of mental okay. training like that that one neuroscientist that put you in a functional mri mm-hmm. showed you a bunch of scary images would you talk a little bit about your interpretation of the meaning of those results yeah so i mean basically the it was a feature article on nautilus yeah. magazine that sort of found that um my amygdala didn't activate under stimulus um the stimulus being you know exciting images in an mri <laughs> yeah um I sort of found that to mean, uh, I mean, so then the question is, is that like nature or nurture? Like, do I just not have an amygdala? I mean, I do physically have one, but um, does it not work? Or did it stop working because I've like slowly bludgeoned it to death through like years of soloing? Um, yeah, well, I prefer to think of it as stepping on my amygdala over and over and grinding <laughs> into dust with the heel of my boot. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I, I bet the reality is sort of half and half that like I was probably less sensitive um, you know, I bet my amygdala when I was born was already a little bit shriveled and a little bit tired and just like not quite as responsive as, as maybe the average amygdala. And then through 10 years of consistently pushing myself as a soloist, mm-hmm. um, I think my amygdala just gave up and died. You know, now it's done. That or, or you still have the same amygdala, uh, maybe a little bit less sensitive than the average person, but you've done a lot of practice and have experiences to develop your rational brain to totally. help keep it in check in a sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's basically the case because I know that 10 years ago I was a lot more afraid of different things and now I'm like much more calm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you're looking at a picture of something, I'm like, why would you ever be afraid of a picture? I'm like, who cares? So can you, know? you speak to the um, to what that process looked like in your experience? Like how did... In, in the MRI? No, um, in your oh, in those oh, of ten years desensitizing of myself. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's just you know, for me, it's all unfolded through the the course of soloing. So, like, I, you know, I'm sure you could learn the same lessons through any other sport or through any other process. But for me, it was all through soloing, um, and that basically just meant starting on easy routes that seemed totally exciting. I mean, when I started soloing, I thought that you know it was all about perfection. Like, if you made any mistake, you would die. And then over the years, I've sort of realized that that's not totally the case. I mean, you can slip a little, you know, you can like blow a foot, you can like have rocks fall off. As long as you don't fall off yourself, then it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like 100% perfect. It just has to be, you know, 97% perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sort of working through that experience, you know, just like having more and more of those sorts of things happen and like broadening my comfort zone so long, it's just been a long process. Yeah. I mean, I've soloed so many pitches. You know, like so many easy pitches. Mm. You know, taking a climbing as a training for the mind and then applying it to, to something else, do you find that this skill that you've developed helps you in other areas of your life? Well, I found that that by dealing with fears and dealing with my mind through climbing, it does make the rest of life 
a lot more manageable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like certainly the anxiety that people feel associated with traveling, um, I don't really get that much. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm never like afraid on planes. Like um, I feel like it just keeps life in perspective. Yeah. You know, you're just like, I'm pretty unstressed about things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if you're not going to die, like what is there to be stressed about? <laughs> and motivation, you know, can shift from one discipline to another. Like uh, after an achievement like El Cap, you know, it's not just what's the next bigger free solo. It could be how about pushing myself on hard yeah, sport Yeah, that's exactly something. what I'm hoping to do for sure. Yeah. Do you see as you go through your climbing life and your life in general, how your motivation can shift, you know, to new things and still be inspired by those new things? Uh, I mean, I think even over the last 10 years that I've been soloing a whole lot, I mean, my motivation is, is frequently shifting throughout the year. Like now it's bowling season, now it's sport climbing season, now it's, you know, big wall slash soloing season. But, um, I mean, I think that's part of what, what I love about climbing so much is like that constantly shifting motivation. um, Yeah. And, uh, and that's again, intrinsic, right? Because you're, you're not asking somebody else, uh, even though it might, might be bouldering season, are you tuning into yourself about wanting to uh, go bouldering? Yeah. I mean, part of that also just has to do with the seasons, you know, you're like, oh, it's cold. Like I want to go boulder. Mm -hmm. And then like, oh, it's really long days. I want to like use them and like climb big things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it just, it's all, it's just following the seasons, I guess, but it could be seasonal based, uh, what your friends are doing, but also what you, uh, feel inspired to do yourself. Totally. Totally. What are some books that, uh, have influenced you? I mean, you already mentioned the rock words where I'll just keep plugging your book. (laughs) There are obviously other books out there. There are many books written on mental training. Um, yeah, though I haven't actually read that many. Um, I mean, I read the rock words way like at a, at an important juncture for me, you know, cause it was like when I was learning how to trad climb and it was probably the first thing I read on the subject mm-hmm. and then I never actually got that into the whole subject. I mean, I've read a little bit about flow, like, um, the rise of Superman is like mm-hmm. sort of a recent Stephen Kotler book. Um, yeah. I read that cause I was interviewed for it. So I was like in it and he sent me a copy and I was like, cool. And I read it. Um, but in general, I think probably because this stuff has always come slightly naturally to me. I haven't like read a lot about fear. Mm-hmm. Though actually yesterday at the show, somebody gave me a, a book about fear and overcoming, I don't know, Kristen Ullman, I think her name is like a big mountain skier from like the nineties. But um, anyway, so I'll probably read that. Mm-hmm. But she was like a former North Face athlete as well. So I was like, oh, that's cool. But um, I don't know. I, most of my reading though is focused on like environmental nonfiction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Being Being skilled in... Uh, mentally being mentally fit being skilled in that department like uh, is there a part of you that like wants to know a little bit more specifically like why that uh, why you have that ability and what all leads to being able to be focused and mentally fit or in the flow no i mean honestly i've never really cared that much i mean i think it's one of those things where like when you kind of have it you don't really worry about it that much like i worry about physical training a lot more and i've read more about about how to get stronger, but it's because I'm not naturally strong. Yeah. You know, like for me, it's really hard to be strong. And so I've like looked at a lot of different ways to try to get there and like solicited mm-hmm. opinions from tons of people and like talked about coaching and training and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've put a lot of effort into physical training. I've put like almost no effort into mental training, mm-hmm. but that's just because like, I don't really feel like I have much to gain from more mental training. Yeah. yeah so, so you're looking at where you're weak yeah, and, exactly. and exactly. looking to build that up where it yeah. would be a natural person's response would be the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, somebody like Chris Sharma, I bet he's never read anything about training, you know, cause he's like so physically gifted that he doesn't really need to, like he doesn't really care about like hanging on the hangboard or doing whatever else. Cause he's like, I can just go out and crush rocks to powder with my bare hands. You know, he's like, whatever. Um, 
but that's just not me, you know, <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. I don't know, everybody has different strengths. Well, I think we, we all have a strong draw to our comfort zones and it's, uh, it's helpful to be aware if we're just falling victim to that and not balancing out the other aspect mm -hmm. that could yeah, you don't want to make play us to your, a broader athlete. Though it's funny because sometimes you play to your strengths. I mean, for me, soloing free riders playing to my strengths. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's but not you have to balance me. out the physical part, you know, that, uh, that can help complement your strength, right? Wait, what, what do you mean? Well, you're, uh, if a uh, free soloing free rider is uh, playing toward your strength, yeah. you're also looking at your weakness, which is physical training and yeah, building yeah, yeah, it up yeah, yeah, so totally, that it totally, can complement totally. you. So when you go and climb towards your strength, then you yeah. have this support. No, I just meant that, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about balancing on weaknesses and like pursuing things in climbing that you're bad at so you can be more well-rounded. But at the same time, I feel like you're never really going to achieve anything like great in climbing unless you also play to the things that you're best at from time to time. Right. You know, I mean, that's why Chris Sharma has been like sport climbing and bouldering his whole career. Cause like, you know, I mean, he loves it, but that's also what he's amazing at. Um, you know, and for me with soloing, I was kind of like, well, you know, this is something that I probably can do if I work towards it. I should just like do that rather than like beat my head against 14D, 15A for like years and, and still suck, you know? Like it might be time for that now, right? Well, yeah, no, no, I'm, no, I'm stoked. <laughs> no, I'm stoked. Yeah. Well, and actually, and honestly, um, those kinds of training goals lend themselves more towards uh, like the work schedule I have now, you know, because I basically haven't done any kind of sponsor obligation or work in the last year because I've been focused on climbing and, and LCAP. And now that I have a lot more appearances and things, um, being able to train for two hours in the gym and do a hangboard workout, it's like much more appropriate. You know, and that's like kind of what it takes to climb 515. It's like slightly more intense, more focused training. It's all sort of, it all sort of fits, you know, like I don't have the time to do like high volume endurance training right now anyway. So I'm like, well, you know, perfect. Good time to become a sport climber. Anyway, that's all I had, really, and really appreciate sitting down with you, Alex. I oh, know. Thank you, guys. Digging into yeah. the, this topic is really interesting to us, and we'd like to see, you know, share your perspective on it, so we really appreciate it. No, thank you. I mean, I appreciate your guys' work, too, since obviously I used your book uh, so, yeah. so long ago. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you start, you have to start somewhere, you know, and, like, that's, that's where I learned uh, when I was younger, so... So thanks for that. You know, so many people are inspired by what you do. I, for one, appreciate that inspiration. Um, thanks, thanks. Big thanks to Arno and Jeff and Alex for allowing me to repost this over here. Um, it was fun to get to sit in on part of that conversation. Um, like I said, I was running around the Salt Palace and, and getting some things done, so I kind of dipped in and out. Uh, but it was really fun to listen to. And uh, Alex and I actually had a meeting shortly after here in Lander uh, to talk about his training because, like he mentioned in here, he wants to rebrand himself as you know an intensity athlete rather than an endurance athlete. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation, to, to say the least. Um, Alex isn't a whole lot different uh, from most of us out there in his insecurities and in his challenges. Um, you know, he just happens to be at a much, much higher level on the endurance side of things and, and really understand himself in a way that a lot of people don't in that realm. Uh, but once he moves into the, the intensity sphere, um, he doesn't quite understand himself as well. So it was, a, it was an interesting conversation, and I'm going to... I'm going to be talking to Nate about that uh, soon and then you know, give that conversation to our patrons. Uh, if you haven't checked out the 
the Patreon site, please do. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get extra episodes and some other goodies over there. So please check that out. Um, if you are coming to Rocktoberfest, come and find me. Register online. You get a discount. RGCC.org. And uh, live podcast there. Board meeting. Saturday, October 14th, 8 p.m. at Land of the Arches. So if you happen to be around the red, we would love to see you there for that recording. We're also going to have some question and answer afterward and just have a good time. Um, October 27th to 29th, I'll be in Salt Lake City with the Climb Strong Performance Coaching Seminar. You can find out more about that at climbstrong.com. Then I'll be at Spire in Bozeman, November 14th to 17th. And uh, hopefully I see you guys out there somewhere. Um, I've been running around the country, so I've met a lot of you recently. And I appreciate everybody who comes up to me and lets me know that they love this thing and what we're doing. And, you know, that keeps me going. So thank you guys for that. Um, Take a look at what we've got on the website. Tons of new things are up. We're bringing out new things all the time. Powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebook. You can find us on the Instagram. You can find us on the Pinterest. You cannot and will not ever find us on the Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.